0: Good morning. We turn now to the reading of God's law. Particularly, we'll focus this morning on the ninth and the 10th commandments as we have journeyed through the 10 commandments during this season of Lent. And God spoke all these words, saying, "'I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor,' You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now let us respond with this question from the New City Catechism around the Ninth and Tenth Commandments. What does God require in the Ninth and Tenth Commandments? Ninth. That we do not lie or deceive, but speak the truth in love. Tenth, that we are content, not envying anyone or resenting what God has given them or us. Amen. We turn now to the reading for today from Second Kings chapter five, looking for grace enough for us as we covet and as we lie. Then he, that is Naaman, returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know now that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter." And he, that is Elisha, said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, "'Is all well?' And he said, "Well, "'All is well. My master has sent me to say, there have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing.' And Naaman said, "'Be pleased to accept two talents.' And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver "...in two bags with two changes of clothing, and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, "'Where have you been, Gehazi?' And he said, "'Your servant went nowhere.'" (laughs) But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever." So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. O oh, Father in heaven, God of all mercies, Father, please grant us the grace we need this day for our coveting and lying hearts. Forgive us and renew us, Jesus, God the Son, as we fall back onto You and Your mercies, which are new every morning. We need them new this morning, Jesus. Give us grace enough this day for these false ways, for our coveting and and our lying, which so often seeks to cover it up or empower our coveting. We have learned these ways, Father. From very early in our lives, they were coping mechanisms for us. They were ways we've soothed and salved our souls. They are ways we have justified ourselves to ourselves and to others. Oh, forgive us, Father. Forgive us and renew us in Your love. Give us grace enough today. For Your grace is abounding. May it be fresh and wonderful to us. May we learn not only forgiveness, but learn to live in truth and freedom and love and generosity. We pray it all in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's great to be back with you after a couple of weeks back in Los Angeles. What's happened to the Hans since we were last with you is, we have fully moved out of our apartment there in Venice, California. All our stuff is now, yes, much in boxes, but all in one roof, under one roof here in San Antonio. Uh, everything's here except for our car. It's being transported uh, by truck. We hope it gets here by tomorrow. And uh, it was so great at the end of last week, uh, early this past week, uh, the, the previous weekend, I preached there in L.A., couple of sundays there the previous two and and then monday morning we we were staying in a hotel we'd moved out of this apartment and we were gathering everything we were getting our car loading on this transport truck and we just kept saying to ourselves we get to go home now <laughs> we get to go home to San Antonio. It was just so wonderful to say that to each other. Uh, and you're a huge part of why we feel that way. Your love, your welcome, your engagement of us. It's just been amazing. You've made this place home already. I feel like every time I'm preaching now, I need to tell you a little bit about me. And I, I've talked a little bit about my dad before, but I want to talk about him some more today. Just this past week was the 10th anniversary of his death he died a hard death of dementia it was very difficult Um, but he was this most wonderful loving kind gracious man he was so full of the gentleness and the love and the kindness of God I was his only child his only son and he just filled me with this sense of acceptance and love and welcome all the time. I was talking to my mom who's still living and, and may come here to live with us by this fall, and she's probably going to be watching the live stream in the second service. Um, but I was talking to my mom one time when I preached on this passage today from Second Kings 5, and I said, you know, I really like this passage, mom. And she said, well, Paul, did you know that that was your dad's favorite passage? And I said, no, I didn't know that. my My dad did a little bit of lay preaching. he was a Baptist deacon, and he would occasionally do some lay preaching, and this was sort of his go-to text, not so much this back half, but right, the first half of this chapter is much more well known to us, and that part was my dad's favorite and and my favorite too. We might even come back to this passage, the front half of the chapter in Easter, um, because it's this amazing resurrection story, right? Here's this enemy of God, Naaman, this horrible, wicked general of the Syrian army who's constantly threatening and abusing Israel, right, with raids and into Israeli territory, and, and, and Naaman on one of those raids, right, captures this little servant girl, and uh, who knows what abuses she saw done to her family. Or loved ones or had done to herself even but he takes her as a prize of war and gives her to his wife and is this great powerful man who has who has won great victories for Syria who is the most important person other than the king in the country he comes down with leprosy and perhaps it's getting worse and worse that he can't hide it anymore and uh and the little slave girl says oh would that my master could go see the prophet in Samaria, go and see Elisha, that the Lord would heal him. This amazing mercy flowing through this child who was abused and a slave and a prisoner of war to this pagan, wicked general. And he finds this amazing mercy of God, right? He doesn't like what Elisha says, just doesn't come out to see him, doesn't make a big show, doesn't make an incantation over him, doesn't uh, make a show over the general who's coming with chariots and an entourage to Elisha's house, right? He just sends word to a messenger and says, go and dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. And he leaves right in this rage He's telling his servants, I could have stayed back in Syria for that. We've got far better rivers in Damascus than this. But the servants say to him, it is a wonderful world that he has given you that the prophet has said, let's go dip in the river and see. And he dips himself seven times in the Jordan, and he's healed, and his flesh is like that of a baby. And it's this beautiful resurrection full of grace, right, from the most Wicked and outsiders with God. It's this lovely story. My dad loved it, and I love it. But we're doing today, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. <laughs> the back end of the story, which is not so lovely, right? About another leprosy, another disease, another withering coming on Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. A withering that comes from coveting and lying. A withering of soul and body that can come on us as well. Is there grace enough for us in that space? Yes, there is. There's grace enough for forgiveness and renewal of our lives because the mercies of the Lord are new to us each day, even in a space like this. Let's ask some questions of the text. First, when? When, like Gehazi, do we covet and lie? Well, for Gehazi, right, he's watched this miracle. He's seen it happen. And yet he says these, these words that are so cutting, it's, it's, it, they're so poignant and deep. He says, as the Lord lives. So he's baptizing right away his covenant and his lies with religious language. As the Lord lives, I'm going to go after this Naaman and get something from him. Verse 20. See, what he's doing with covenanting right, is what we do with covenanting is... Yes. Naaman brought with him a lot of gold, literally tons of silver, and this beautiful clothing. And Gehazi is saying, I have to have that. That has become my functional savior. As the Lord lives, I want to trade the Lord out to go get these things from Naaman that's what coveting is that's why Paul calls it idolatry over in Colossians and Romans in various ways right because when you're coveting when you're craving a thing an object a person an experience so deeply that you've got to run after them after that thing that person that experience and have it at all cost it's become your functional God in that space. And so often, right, we'll couple lying with that kind of covenant, right? To go get it. Gehazi's willing to tell lies to Naam and say, oh, my master sent me to you. I know he said he didn't want anything from you, but, but uh, he sent me because two, two sons of the prophets have come in. Bold-faced lie, right? Lies to Naam and to get it. Lies to the servants who go and carry the bags and the clothing with him and then tries to lie to Elisha to cover this all up where his covenant has got him and taken him. Lying is so often, not just for covening, but other sins, right? A side dish, right? It kind of goes well with a lot of things. So often our lying, right, is a trailhead to deeper sin issues, deeper brokennesses in our lives deeper questions about who we are. We've learned to lie about all kinds of things from very early on to sort of cope to make things work, and particularly when we're chasing functional saviors other than God. Here's the lying and the covenant blended together. Um, One of the best books I've read, I, I try to sort of go to it, during the Lenten season. It's a book, it's a it's by Cornelius Plantinga. It's called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a Breviary of Sin. This kind of, kind of a work that, that looks at sin and brokenness and fallenness in humanity. It's, it's a very sobering read. It's, it's a, a read that I often go to during Lent when I'm trying to take honest looks at myself. He talks about in that book how there's this kind of presenting together, this kind of nodding together of the way that our sins function. He writes this little paragraph that I think is so powerful. He says, Suppose a high school girl watches television when she should be studying and snaps at a parent who gestures toward her unopened books. The next afternoon, she cheats on the first of her semester exams. Then, feeling irritable, she gets drunk with her friends. Gossips more maliciously than usual about an acquaintance they all dislike and blood alcohol levels still rising aggressively drives her mother's car home. Indeed, she drives it partway through the end of the family garage. <laughs> and afterward, she doesn't feel like studying again. See, there's this just kind of meshing and blending together of our sin patterns. They so often build on each other, like coughs and colds and aches or pains or like bronchitis and even pneumonia right do if left unchecked because they're knotted together down at their roots when do we lie and covet all all the time all the time, right? You know, spring break for me. It's the time as I was reflecting, you know, we came into town and so many were gone, right? So many may still be gone even this morning. And I, I love that you've gotten to go a lot of fun places. It's been fun to hear about all the places people have been this week. But spring break for me is a space where I just kind of remember I've done a lot of covenanting because when you're a pastor, it's usually Easter or Easter's approaching and you don't get to go on spring break. So, you know, back in Austin when I pastored there, my friends would go on spring break and I would take care of their animals. <laughs> and I'd kind of the whole time be gnarling. They're skiing, they're at the beach. This kind of covening, right? Back when I was younger, baseball season starting, right? I would covet the guys that had better swings than me. Right? As I got older, I'd covet the guys who have better golf swings than me because I could hardly swing a club with kind of a wrecked shoulder that I've had. It's not just spring break, right? Though it's all the time. We we covet when things go well or when they don't go well, right? Right? When when we don't get what we want, we think like we're just sort of entitled to covet and chase those things and have the side dish of lying alongside it. But when things go well, even we can covet. Here's Gehazi on the back end of this miracle. This wonder that even the pagan general, the arch enemy of Israel, has found grace and turned to the Lord and said, can I have two mule loads of earth to take back with me to Syria so I can worship the one true God on this holy ground? It's amazing renewal and conversion of Naaman, right? And right there, Gehazi expresses all this coveting And this lying, it can happen anywhere. When I think about this combo, I think about a good friend of mine in Austin. One of those people that sometimes I would keep their pets in spring break who ended up embezzling millions of dollars from the state of Texas and then lying to cover it up. even told me some of those lies to help cover up what he had done. And I think, well, that's a person that has a problem with all this. No, I do. You do. We are Gehazi. That's when it happens. It's all the time in all kinds of ways. Well, let's ask a second question then. Not so much when it happens, but why does it happen? You know, we've talked about this nodding together of these sins. What's underneath this, right? Well, well, first of all, right? Gehazi has the spirit of I can't wait. I can't wait any longer on God. You know, we're promised great blessings from God's hand. And here's all this gold and silver and clothing right in front of me. And Elisha wants to send him away with all of this stuff as an expression of the freedom of the grace of God. But I can't wait. I've got to have this now. A spirit of I can't wait is so often underneath our coveting, right? God doesn't know what He's doing. God's timing isn't right. I've got to have this now. There was a famous study done, and I'm sure there have been several, but I I know about one of them that was done um, with preschoolers. And and what the test was in this little study was, you could either have, like with with four-year-olds, this was primarily done with, that you could either have right now a cookie, Right? And the guy would have the cookie right out there in front of him and say, I'll give you this right now. Or in 30 minutes, you can have three cookies. Right? And like 90% of the kids said, I want that one right now. (laughs) Bad economics from an early age. But what is it, right? A bad sense that I've got to have this now, no matter if it's less. Well, it's worse, right, with our covenant, right? We're saying, I don't care, God. I don't care about you, about your boundaries, about your timing. I functionally want to trade you out even for this thing or this person right now. I can't wait is underneath it. I must have is underneath it too, so often, right? You know what Gehazi's name means literally? In Hebrew, greed. Greed. I must have this. Traditionally in church kind of teaching through the Middle Ages when the seven deadly sins were heightened and and spoken of often, greed was pictured by the color yellow jaundice. That it withers you from the inside out, that it sickens you deeply so that you cannot receive and take in the good things that you ought because you've got this soul sickness of greed, right? What's underneath my covenant is that it says, if I can't have that, my life's not really worth living. I must have that. I can't wait i must have right but what's even underneath more deeply rooted than those two right is i don't trust i don't trust god i don't think god has my best at heart this is all the way back to the garden right where Adam and Eve, where there is no brokenness, where there is no fallenness, where there is nothing that is not good, where any good they could possibly conceive of was at their fingertips, but the lie breaks in through the serpent. Right, The real good stuff, God's holding out on you. you. You can't trust Him because He's keeping back the really good things from you. You want this fruit right here. And right at the beginning all of our problems right, is this sense that I can't trust the goodness of God. I don't believe. That's what's down there, down deep. When? All the time in all kinds of ways. Why? Because we've got these spirits of I can't wait, and I must have, and I really don't believe, God, that you're good, that you care, that you love me. Gehazi must have had all that. He'd been partnered, all these miracles. He'd seen God deliver Elisha and Israel from amazing places where they were surrounded by enemy armies. God had provided. He'd seen miracles. And he'd seen literally a little boy's life Brought back to life. He'd seen a famine taking over a city surrounded by enemies and God sending all the enemies away miraculously and, and the famine broken. He'd seen amazing things, but he just didn't believe in this space God could be trusted. Isn't that what you do? I know it's what I do. So that's the when. That's the why. But where? Where's the grace for us in this kind of space? This grace is beautifully all over this passage. First, there's the grace of of a warning. Don't, Don't go this way. Look at Gehazi. He comes back and he got what he wanted from Naaman, yet all it did was bring him pain and ruin. Don't feed your covenant. Don't execute it or cover it up with lies. It withers you. It will leave you leprous of soul, blighted, withered, having to be just alone. Don't go this way. It's like God is a parent kindly saying to us as his children, I'm telling you not to touch that stove. It's going to burn burn you and burn you badly don't go that way don't touch that so this grace of warning but there's so much more grace here right because Gehazi's left he's left with this horrible leprosy that was on Naaman now on him uh, scholars have speculated why is this so severe why why this kind of very harsh discipline on Naaman. And for one reason, many have said, because it's this special moment where grace is breaking out beyond the borders of Israel and God is making a large statement not to taint the grace, not not to stand in its way, not to soil it with greed and with lying and covetousness. But I I think that there's far more grace here. Not just a warning that that when Gehazi was laid now with this burden upon himself, it's like what the law always does to us. It reveals how diseased we are. Gehazi is suddenly put where Naaman was with nowhere to go but the mercy of God. The Old Testament is filled with cliffhangers like this with stories that are unfinished. What happens to Gehazi? We really don't hear about him much more after this. But he and so many others are pointing forward to our time. Our time that we can now look back on. That Jesus has come to take the leprosy of our souls on Himself. To wash us clean in His blood. To make us born anew by His grace. And by his mercy. And to continually make us new in him each morning, each day, each moment. It it's the law being what we said it is at its core, this mirror that shows us we are diseased of heart, mind, body and spirit. But Jesus is the fair one, the lovely one who takes our leprosy on himself and gives us his beauty, his righteousness, his wonder. Gehazi points us to our desperate need for Jesus, and there is grace upon grace there. And with him, we can become like others in the story. We can become like the little servant girl who instead of wanting to destroy the one who had harmed her, loves her enemy and prays for the one who persecutes her. Like the servants of Naaman, who instead of letting their cruel master go away in a rage, beg him to come back to a word of grace. To a hope of renewal in the Gospel of the one true God. We can be like Elisha and say, you know what? I'm not living this life of the kingdom for material gain. I'm not doing this life of the kingdom to manipulate and take. I'm doing it to freely give in the name of the God of heaven and earth. In the name of Jesus. And even we can be like Naaman who in our wickedness, in our total space of being undeserving, look for mercy that is ours. Because God loves to show mercy. It is his greatest, most glorious characteristic. He is abounding in mercy and loving kindness. And we can be people living this out. May the Lord give us grace in our coveting, in our lying, to be forgiven, to be renewed, in the mercies of God let's pray together Heavenly Father thank you for this story it's not the part of the story that we remember as well it's the second half the lesser known the side B if you will of the album but there's so much here for us Lord forgive us of our lying and our covenanting the way those things are knotted together in our souls forgive the sins underneath the sins of a lack of trust, a lack of hope in you, of greed and demandingness. Forgive us, God. But give us, O Lord, today afresh, grace upon grace. May we look to you and find new mercies. Even as we come to this table, may we be fed upon the riches of this mercy and grace that we may become people who don't take, who don't covet, but give generously, people of truth, people of love. We pray it all, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your name's sake. Amen.